glad that you are here. You picked a really great day to join us because today, uh, as we launch into the new year, it's the first Sunday in 2024, you're going to see a church working its way through following God's leadership and the ways that God has been guiding us and leading us to get to this point today. And even the passage of scripture that we're going to study together in the book of Acts points us to that. The the first church, if you will, the early church, and how they were following the leadership of the Holy Spirit and how these things work together as we seek to follow the Lord. I do want to say that if you are a guest and you joined us today, in the back of the pews, you'll find one of these guest registration cards. We would encourage you to fill that out. We'll receive our offering after our sermon, after our time of response this morning. And when we receive the offering... We would ask that you just drop that in the offering plate as it passes by. That'd be your gift to us as a guest, a visitor with us today. You'll find that there's ways in there you can communicate to us. If you're looking to connect with our church, we want to be able to follow up and connect with you. Now, in the similar vein, I would say for those who've joined us this morning, maybe you're listening locally on our radio broadcast or you've tuned in to our live stream on any of the, the different platforms where we stream our services, we would say welcome to you. You can head to our website, fbcchickasha.org slash connect, and there you'll find a form, what we call our connection form, that you can share the very same information with us. As we get into the message this morning, the first thing I want to do is lead us in a prayer. And I want this to be a prayer where we just say, Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you move in our hearts? Would you show us your truth from your word? We're going to be studying together in Acts chapters 1 and 2 this morning as we consider together this, uh, this, this passage about how God is working in the life of the, the early church. But even as we wade into this, let's pray together and let's ask God that he would speak to our hearts together this morning as we come before him in this time of study, this time of worship. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts today. Use your word to guide us. Not only our thoughts and, and, and not only the things that we consider our response, but Lord, even at the very deepest level, our desires, that you would mold and shape us, Holy Spirit, so that we might desire to walk with you, to follow you, to live in humble obedience to your word and your instruction for us. Teach us from the example of the early church and use this in our hearts and our lives to lead us closer to you. All this we ask in your name. Amen. You may have noticed that we have kind of a, a, a new graphic, a, a new kind of turn a new page as we launch into a new year. We're starting a new sermon series, which will start today and carry us through the spring as we'll be studying our way through the book of Acts. And what you have in the book of Acts is a record of the life of the early church. It's meant to give us an account of the, the, the days and the weeks, the months, the years immediately after the time that Jesus was here on earth with his disciples. And so originally in, in the original translations of the, the New Testament into the English language, often the book of Acts would be titled Acts of the Apostles. Acts of the Apostles. And the reason is because what we have here in the book of Acts, as we now refer to it, are the record of the events of these early apostles, the life of the early church. We know from the early verses in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and in the verses that follow, we know who wrote the book of Acts. It's this man whose name is Luke, and he's writing to Theophilus. Now, the Theophilus 
there's some debate as to, is that a person? Is that more metaphorical? But uh, we, won't, we won't be able to answer that with any great certainty, regardless of whether Theophilus was a person or maybe was meant to be like a group of people and it's sort of a, a, a crypt, encrypted type of language or reference. The bottom line is the book is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in order to teach us not only of the history of these things, the history matters, the history is important, but also to teach us from the example of, the lesson of, those who went before us, that we might learn from them. And that's really what I hope to point us to this morning in our study of Acts chapters 1 and 2. Now, we're not going to read Acts 1 and 2 verse by verse, you know, all the way through each of these two chapters, but we are going to work our way through the events of Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 together this morning, looking at the unfolding of these events and also looking at some key things connected to the role of the Holy Spirit. You see, one of the, the great keys in understanding the book of Acts, one of the, one of the ways that you can really understand what's taking place in the book of Acts is to see the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the early church, to see the unfolding events of the book of Acts against the backdrop of how the Holy Spirit was working in the lives of these earliest believers to lead them into all that God had for them. And so we're going to dig into that. That's really the focus of this study this morning is seeing the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit that fell on the early church and then the ways that the Holy Spirit moved. And so there are three points that we'll consider together this morning to take this, these lessons of the Holy Spirit's work and to bring it into our day, to take the lessons of what the Holy Spirit was doing then and to consider how we live with that same Holy Spirit power now. And I want you to think of that for just a moment. That the same Holy Spirit that was at work here in the book of Acts is the same Spirit that we have now. That timeless Spirit of God, the, the eternal uh, Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit, that this part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, the same, the same Holy Spirit in Acts is the same Holy Spirit that you and I have now, guiding us, leading us, moving in our hearts if we've trusted Jesus by faith. And the same Spirit that, that did these amazing things then is with us, leading us in our obedience today. And that's such an incredible thing, and it's really such an important thing for us to understand. That's what I hope that we walk away from today with a fuller understanding of the Spirit's work. And then as we study our way through the book of Acts in the coming weeks, we will see again and again, we will point back to these foundational lessons of how the Spirit came and how it was transformative in the life of the church and how it propelled forward the work of the kingdom that Jesus pointed his disciples to in the Gospels. And so let's just dive right in together as we see here this, this movement of God in the book of Acts. We're calling this Acts the church on fire. The church is on fire. It's as if, it's as if there were fire in their bones, fire guiding them. And we'll see even some of that in the language here in Acts chapter 1 in Acts chapter 2. So the first point that I want us to see as we learn about this movement of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit fills us with God's power. 
What we learn in Acts 1 and Acts 2 is that the Holy Spirit fills us with God's power. Now, the Holy Spirit is literally God. It's a part of the Godhead, a part of the Trinity. And, and our doctrine of the Trinity teaches us that God is three distinct persons who are simultaneous, simultaneously distinct and yet unified. Three in one. And so you have the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And they are co-eternal, co-existent, co-eternal. They are separate and distinct and yet one. And if that sounds in the least bit confusing to you, then welcome to the club, right? Because it is. It, this is deep, weighty things that, that stretches our understanding. And yet, we, we didn't just make this up. The early church fathers, the, the early leaders of the church, this isn't something that they just invented. They were going off of the very revelation of God himself, writing through the, the authors of the Old Testament, the, the authors of these New Testament works, as God was speaking to them and, and speaking his instruction through his revelation. He's, he's giving us this teaching. What we will see referred to a little bit later in Acts chapter 2, even this morning, as the teaching of the apostles. We see, we'll see in Acts 2.42 that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Where did the apostles get that teaching? They got that teaching directly from Jesus himself. And so Jesus taught his disciples. He taught them about the person of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's informed by that understanding, built on that foundation, if you will, that we wade into these matters and we understand who the Holy Spirit is, how the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and our lives. And the first thing that I want us to see is that the Holy Spirit fills us with power. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, for example. This is a verse of Scripture that will be very familiar to most of us. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now you'll notice a couple of things, first of all. You'll notice that these words are in quotation marks. When you see something in quotation marks, you know that it's, it, it's being recorded as something that is being spoken, right? Well, if you, if you look in the context here, the, the person who's speaking these words is none other than Jesus himself. Jesus, as he is gathered together with his disciples. This is after his resurrection, but prior to the moment of his ascension. So in the days after Jesus was resurrected, but before he ascended to the Father, as he's moving and living amongst his disciples and teaching them, he gives them this simple instruction, and he tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That power that comes, that power that works, is, is a part of the indwelling of his Holy Spirit in our heart and our lives. One of the things that I find to be most incredible when we consider the, the work of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit fills us, that we have the literal presence of God inside of us by the, by the indwelling presence of his spirit guiding us and leading us. Who among us, if we had the, the opportunity, would not 
choose to spend time in the very presence of Jesus. Like if, if somehow, if that were an option for us, that like the disciples did, we could walk and talk and, and live and, and, and do life with Jesus. We would choose to do that. I would. I, I would think most any of us would. And yet Jesus himself spoke to his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 7, and he told his disciples that it's actually for your good that I should go, because until I go, the Spirit won't come. Jesus himself said to his disciples, look, it's actually better for you that I would go away, because when I go, I will send my Holy Spirit to be with you, to dwell inside of you. And so now we have the Holy Spirit dwelling with us, literally inside of us, we understand it. You can read in the next verses and you see that just after he spoke these things, as they were looking on, Jesus began to ascend into heaven. And so the very last thing that he shared with his disciples here that's recorded for us in this book of Acts is that they are to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and then they would go out into the world and they would be his witnesses. It's that power of the Holy Spirit filling us that enables us to do this very thing. And so we, we read forward in chapter 2, and we read about the very moment when, when the Holy Spirit came. So look at chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there's a timeline here that's given to us. And so I want to try to help connect these dots for you. Because again, there are some, there are some, some things here about the order of events that are important. This says that on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost arrived, the day of Pentecost would have been a particular day. Pentecost was known in the Hebrew language as Shavuot. It was the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks. It was a, a, a celebration of the, the fact that they, had, that they had sown their crops and, and that they were preparing for the growing season. It was a, a celebration, an ingathering of sorts, that they would come together and they would celebrate what God was doing. And it happened 50 days after the time of the Passover. And so you could mark on the calendar, and, and still to this day, this is the way that, that Orthodox Jews celebrate. They celebrate Shavuot. They, they celebrate the Feast of Weeks even to this day. That from the time of, from the, time of the Passover until, well, you could just mark 50 days ahead on the calendar, they would celebrate together Pentecost. Now, the word Pentecost itself actually comes from a later word that means 50. And not, that's not part of the, the Hebrew language, but later that word was, was sort of translated or transliterated into another language. And the, and the word that means a 50th, that's where this word Pentecost comes from. And so it's pointing to the fact of the celebration, the festival, the, the high holy day that would take place 50 days after the day of the Passover. Now, what do you know about 
Passover. We know that we could go backward. And it was at Passover where Jesus sat together with his disciples and they shared the Last Supper that we refer to now as that Last Supper or even that we commemorate with our, our Lord's Supper that we, we participated in that just this last Sunday. Last, last week we observed the Lord's Supper together. And so they observed the Last Supper together on Passover. It was on that same night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested. He was then crucified the following morning, and then in a matter of three days, resurrected. You could fast forward from that time. So Jesus was resurrected. We know that 40 days go by. The Gospels point us to that timeline. 40 days go by, and then after Jesus' resurrection, 40 days into the future, now we have Acts chapter 1. Jesus is gathered together with his disciples. He ascends to the Father. And then a few days later, on the 50th day after Passover, the disciples are gathered together in the room, in the place where they were where they were essentially hiding out, I mean, effectively, because they feared for their lives. And the Spirit fell. The Holy Spirit came. That's what we have. That's what we just read in Acts chapter 2. They're gathered together on this day of the Feast of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit fell. And this is meant to remind us of several things. It's meant to be a reminder to us, even, of how God moved in the life of his people. See, the early audience, the Hebrew audience, hearing this story would have been, they would have been pointed back to another time when the Spirit of God moved in this way. If you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 19, in Exodus chapter 19, you have this moment where the, the nation of Israel, who are wandering about in the wilderness, come to Mount Sinai. And there, in Exodus chapter 19, as the nation is gathered at the, at the, the, the base, at the foot of Mount Sinai, that the Spirit of God moved. And you saw that it was as if the, the mountain itself shook, and they heard this this voice speaking as if it were the, 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 the voice of thunder. And there was fire, it seemed, that fell from heaven. And it was on that same day that God gave them the law, that the, the voice of God spoke as the nation was gathered there together at the base of Sinai. And they heard God speak, and he gave them the law. You can go back and read about that in Exodus chapter 19. And this, these events are meant to connect, if you will. Connect a new movement of God. Now, here it's not the law that is being given, but rather the fulfillment of the law that is taking place. As Jesus has come, he has lived the perfect life. He has offered his life as payment for his sin. He's resurrected, and now he's ascended to the Father. And here we have the Spirit the Spirit fall, the Holy Spirit come on his disciples, just as he promised in fulfillment of his very word, in fulfillment of the promise that he had spoken to them. And you see some of the same signs, as it were. You see, the, the, it's like the, the earth shook, and, and they, it was as if tongues of fire fell on them. All of these signs, again, connecting to the, the events in Exodus 19, it's, it's a reminder of the power of God. And that's what I want you to see in all of this, is that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive the very power of God alive in us, at work in us. Well, what does this power do? What's the purpose of God's power at work in our hearts, in our lives, you might be thinking. Romans chapter 8 
points us to the purpose of God's power. I want to read these verses. You can turn over to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read beginning in verse 5 from Romans chapter 8. Beginning in 5 in, in Romans 8, we see, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is to give us life. The very life that Jesus promised his disciples, the very life that he spoke to them that would that would be to them the the promise, the, the reward of their faith comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. And of course, that means that in this life, on this side of eternity, that we experience that life through the presence of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to live in the righteousness that he's called us to. But it's also pointing us to the fact that someday we will dwell with him forever, again, in fulfillment of that promise. So the Holy Spirit fills us with God's power. That's an important thing that we see here. The work of the Holy Spirit filling us with power. Secondly, we see in Acts 1 and 2 that the Holy Spirit strengthens us to do God's work. So what happens if you're reading through Acts 1 and 2? What you read is that after the Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2, on this day of Pentecost, they began to speak in these different languages that they did not know, that, they, that, they did not, uh, that, that were not their native tongue, their native languages. The Spirit gave them utterance. And they began, to, they began to go out literally into the streets and proclaim the message of Christ. And so gathered in the city of Jerusalem on this day, because of the Feast of Pentecost, would have been Jewish people from from all over there was a there was a we refer to it now as the diaspora there was a, a there were groups of jewish people scattered throughout the roman the roman kingdom because of a series of historical events that had taken place we can go all the way back into what we read in the in the books of first and second kings first and second chronicles as the, the kingdom of Judah fell, and the Jews were scattered, first by the Assyrians, later by the Babylonians, and then even following that by the Medo-Persians and the Greeks, and now the Romans, under a series, a successive series of these outside governments who were ruling over the people of Judah, you have groups of Jewish people scattered throughout what we would call today the Middle East, throughout all of Uh, all of the Middle East, the Near East, and these people would come together 
a few times a year for the celebration of these festivals, these religious feasts. Pentecost was one of those. When Jews from all over would travel to the city of Jerusalem that they might celebrate together. And so as the city of Jerusalem, the streets of Jerusalem are full of people from different from different regions. They shared a common faith, but they, they spoke many different languages. They, they represented in so many ways uh, different strains of cultural influence, geographic influence, and yet it was in that moment that these disciples went into the street and began to preach the gospel. And people heard in their own language. They heard this message of Jesus. They heard the story of Jesus. And many believed on the message. In fact, go to chapter 2, and let's begin reading together in verse 37. Chapter 2, verse 37. What we have recorded in the greater part of chapter 2 is the sermon that Peter preached to them. We're skipping now to the end of Peter's sermon that he preached on the day of Pentecost, beginning in verse 37. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so we see that about 3,000 people heard this message, this proclamation of the gospel as the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. And, and they, they, they heard the message of the gospel, and they believed. Why was that? It's because the Spirit was working the Spirit was working in ways that the disciples themselves would not have been able to, to accomplish. Right? There's no way that the disciples could have spoken and, and communicated with all of these different people, each in their own language, apart from some divine, some miraculous empowering. And that's exactly what the Spirit did, so that as the disciples spoke, particularly this message that's recorded here in Acts chapter 2, as Peter preached to them, they heard in their own language, and they responded in faith, so that about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And, and the key thing that I hope you see in all of this is how the Holy Spirit was working to strengthen the, the believers, the early church, these church fathers as we think of them, the Holy Spirit was working to strengthen them to do what they couldn't do on their own. Again, if I'm pointing back to the purpose of the Spirit and the reason we have the Holy Spirit, well, the Spirit fills us with, God's, with, with power that we, can, that we can do the things God's calling us to do, but also the Spirit strengthens us to do God's work. Now, in this particular moment, the work that God had for his disciples to do was to proclaim the gospel as people were gathered, so that many of these people would hear the message, and then what would they do? Lo and behold, they would return home in a matter of some days. They would return home. And so now, not only, not only do we have 3,000 people who hear and respond in obedience to the gospel, but then as they return home to their, to, 
to their homeland, if you will, the, the place where they live, their cities, their, the different nations where they live. Now the gospel goes with them. And so the church is born, and not only is the early church born, but now the, immediately the gospel spreads. It's the first seeds of this missionary movement that God is doing to reach people everywhere with the gospel. And when you see that, I want you to see that this is not some mere coincidence. This is not just the product of some fortunate timing. This is the divine, ordained plan of God that people would, would hear and respond in faith. And it's a part of God's plan to strengthen his people, to strengthen those who believe that they might accomplish this work. And then finally, when us, what I hope that we learn from the lesson of the church here in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 as they respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit unifies us as God's church. Unifies us as God's church. Let's keep reading in Acts chapter 2, just in the following verse where we left off, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I already pointed to how important that is. That's the, the teaching that Jesus gave to the apostles, these, these, these early disciples, the, the twelve, as it were, who spent time with Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so this movement of the Holy Spirit that's born on the day of Pentecost is uniting together the hearts of those who believe. Now, there are several things that happen here that are descriptive of what's taking place and not meant to be, I think, prescriptive for us. Specifically, this idea that they, that they were literally coming together and, and living essentially. A, they were a commune of sorts. They came together. They were living together. They were selling their individual possessions. They were bringing it all together and giving to those who had need. There's nowhere else in the New Testament that we find that to be the, the prescribed plan for how we're to live. So that, that appears to be, as we understand it, that's just a reflection of how God was working in the hearts and the lives of those earliest believers. And yet there are several things here that are meant to be not only descriptive of what's taking place, but also prescriptive. In other words, instructional for how we are to live. I think you can go back to verse 42. The fact that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. That they, they, they made these things the core of, of, of their, their life and their shared witness together. And as they were doing that, we read that God was moving so that they had favor with everyone and the Lord added to their number day by day. What we see here is a picture of the Holy Spirit unifying these people together as God's church. Throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see the growth, I would even say the explosive growth, the, the exponential growth of this early church. But before we dive into all of the beauty that we see in that in the, in the weeks to come, I want you to understand that this is all the work of the Holy Spirit. None of this would happen were it not for the Holy Spirit 
in the hearts of God's people. You see, they couldn't have been smart enough to figure out all the ways to reach people and do these things. And even if they had come up with all the right strategies and all the right programs and all the right plans, it really would have just been, it would have just been empty were it not for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But because of the empowering work of the Spirit, God took these people, he took their hearts, their lives, their testimonies, their, the, all that they had, and he worked through that in such a way that the world was transformed by the power of the gospel. You and I even here, we're here today literally because of what God did in these early days in the lives of these people. You can sort of trace that out through time and, and history. God did something incredible, and he, he's continuing that work even today. Even among us today, the same Holy Spirit that worked in the lives of these early believers is the same Spirit that is at work in our hearts. Romans chapter 8, we read about that. And that same Spirit that moved in power then moves in power now when we surrender our hearts and our lives to Jesus. And this morning, I want to offer you the opportunity to surrender your life to Him, to to receive the power of God's Holy Spirit. If you're, if you're here today and, and you've come to realize that there's never been a moment that you have trusted Jesus by faith and received his Holy Spirit the way that we see described in Acts 1 and Acts 2, then today even, you could receive his Spirit. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I receive the Spirit? The, the scriptures make it clear. Peter even says it rather plainly repent, every one of you, he says. I'm reading from verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we would repent of our sins, then we will receive the Holy Spirit. If we trust Jesus by faith, this is often what we refer to as being saved, and we get even that language itself is taken from texts like this, because in verse uh, 47, for example, we see that day by day they were added to their number, those who were being saved. To be saved means that we would turn from our sin and turn to Jesus as Savior. And today, if you're ready to be saved, to turn to Jesus as Savior, we want to offer you the opportunity to come to Him in faith. And so in a moment, I'm going to lead us in time of prayer. And after I pray, we're going to sing a song of response together. And even as we sing this morning, I'll be standing here at the front, and if you're ready to receive Jesus by faith today, then while we sing, I would encourage you, step in the aisle, make your way forward. Let me, let me counsel with you through this moment of surrender, praying a prayer of faith where you would say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Would you come in my heart, forgive me of my sins, be the Lord, the Savior of my life, that you would trust in him by faith, receive his Holy Spirit, that you would begin to live empowered by the Spirit of God, the Spirit fills us with God's power. It strengthens us to do his work. It unifies our hearts together. May we be a people, a church, that is led by the Spirit of God. And so I want to invite you to bow your heads with me in a time of prayer. And as we move into this moment of response, may we, each one of us, listen closely to what God wants to speak to us and how he wants to move through his Holy Spirit in our midst this morning. And so, Lord, we pray that you would move in our hearts. Spirit, would you have your way in us? Lead us to trust in you by faith.
to turn from our sin and to turn to you as Savior, that we might experience your power, your movement in our hearts and in our midst. And as we trust in you, as we look to you, as we are filled and led by your Spirit, we pray that you would lead us to accomplish your work, unify us as your people, that we may honor and glorify you in all things. And we pray this in your name this morning. Amen. So I want to invite you to stand with me.